Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, episode number seven, Share Your Passion, recorded Sunday, November 19, 2006. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with, and anything you hear here that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. I'm certainly planning uh, to attend that. Never really know until I turn the key. I kind of beg differ. I think it's more than just your ordinary set of feeling things. Talking about the ins and outs of shooting from one airplane to another, that included my strong admonition: don't do it without a qualified formation pilot. Well, here we are, folks, uh, together again for episode number seven of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. With us this morning, Dave Higdon, uh, aviation photographer and freelance writer and podcast star. We'll come back to that later on. <laughs> Good uh, morning, everybody. Hi, Dave. Uh, Jeb Burnside, managing editor of Aviation Safety Magazine, is with us. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine. Good day, folks. And uh, a newcomer to the podcast this morning is with us, uh, the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women Magazine and also a contributing editor to EAA's Sport Aviation and a good buddy of ours, Amy Laboda, is with us. Hi, Amy. Hey, how are you this morning? Doing real well. So Jeb and Dave and I know you as, uh, uh, pretty well from uh, working together off and on and, and hanging out in Oshkosh, but some of our listeners may not be familiar with you beyond your byline. Um, can you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself? What kinds of other things are you working on, your background, your whatever. Sure, absolutely. I got into this business uh, as a flight instructor many, many, many years ago, um, and I uh, accumulated my ratings. I was sure that I was going to be an airline pilot, um, but somewhere in the middle of all that, I met um, an editor <laughs> for a magazine. Uh -huh. I was at the airport, and he suggested that um, maybe I write an article, something simple. Uh, so I did, and he bought it. And it was like, you know, this cool. a moment. <laughs> yeah. So slowly but surely, I became both a, a flight instructor and and a writer. I would write in the mornings and teach all afternoon and evening. And eventually, I had uh, a choice to make. I had two job offers. One was as an associate editor at Flying Magazine in New York City or go and be a co-pilot on a Bonarani at the time for ASA. Uh -huh. uh, the job in New York City paid better, so I took it, and that's how I got into aviation journalism. Amy, are you at liberty to say who that editor was that got you into this? Uh, I am. That was uh, Zoom Jim Campbell. Oh, really? Very yes, interesting. Very yes, interesting. That's cool. So now, and so where are you based now? Where's your home? I am currently based in Fort Myers, Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, I live and work on an air park there. And the offices of Aviation for Women magazine are also there. That was the uh, stipulation for me taking the job. I am done moving. You can take me out of this town in a box. <laughs> <laughs> these, these kinds of careers, as you guys know, are tough on uh, family and friends. And, and I believe at one point inside of two years, I had moved um, four states and ten different uh, abode so I, I i think i've done my time with the yeah. boxes 
Yeah, well, congratulations on that. Yeah. And congratulations on surviving the box brigade. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're thrilled that you were able to join us, uh, and, uh, and we hope you're going to have some fun talking with us uh, uh, this morning and perhaps in some future episodes as well. Well, anyways, uh, let's get down to business here. What's going on? Oh, I know the first thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, uh, so I was teasing Dave about being a podcasting star. Um, Dave has branched out and uh, and re- has just recently has, uh, appeared on the Airspeed podcast, uh, 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 Steve Force, St- uh, uh, Stephen Force's uh, podcast uh, about a- aviation um, that actually went online. We're recording this on Sunday morning, and I dis- I think it went online yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, that was pretty to cool, Dave. Email. Tell us a little bit about what you talked with Steve about. Well, Steve uh, basically invited me on to uh, to talk about aviation photography, uh, a little bit about air to air, ground to air, uh, tips, tricks, uh, things to do, things to not do, uh, and uh, so we spent about thirty minutes talking about the ins and outs of uh, shooting from one airplane to another. Uh, a discussion that included my strong admonition: don't do it without a qualified formation pilot in the beauty airplane uh, and then how to survive when you go out and decide to do it anyway uh, which is something that I've encountered with a number of pilots yeah I know that's what you said but so uh, I haven't had a chance to actually listen to what I sound like on there but uh, according to the two feedbacks that I've gotten so far I didn't embarrass myself so it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun no, yeah, I, I, no, it was a good lick, and uh, um, you did good. I, it was interesting to hear uh, your take on some of that. I heard some of that I've heard before, of course, but uh, um, it was always refreshing right. to did hear a, again. Did a little piece for uh, for Jim and Aviation Safety Magazine a few months back uh, in the aftermath of a uh, mid-air collision between two uh, two cargo airplanes flown by two professional flight crews who decided to go up and and do some video of one another uh, on a post-maintenance check flight series and uh, one of the crews made it back intact uh, with the damaged aircraft uh, uh, the other crew became uh, additional fatality statistics for the year yeah I enjoyed it a lot I, I you know and and I'm kind of a tough audience about these kinds of things um, but I just surprised I found I was kind of surprised I'm sorry to admit this but it's kind of true uh, I, I was a little bit surprised to discover that it was kind of riveting to me I really enjoyed listening you had some 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 really interesting and, and I'm sure good advice about uh, you know uh, taking pictures particularly air-to-air pictures and basically don't do it unless you really know what you're doing um, and a lot of interesting sort of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff about what goes in, into doing these uh, these shoots and and then just some interesting stories and some shoots that you've involved with. I I, I liked it and uh, I would urge people to to give it a listen. Um, I mean, if you think you can stand a little bit more of Dave Higdon, um, you should check out. You, uh, Jeb's passing out Bloody Mary Max for those uh, yeah, with an aversion. That's right. Um, you should uh, check it out at airspeedonline.blogspot.com um, is the website. Um, that's just, one way. Uh, the other is HTTP colon backslash airspeed dot libsyn l-i-b-s-y-n dot com there are two ways into there airspeed so and i'm sure you could just go, um, i know you can go into itunes and look up our airspeed uh, or google it um and uh, lots of different ways the key is airspeed and the guy's name is stephen force and it's a terrific podcast we've talked about it here before and uh, this is a particularly good episode that's online right now oh thanks guys what else is in the news guys i don't even have the list in front of me uh well what's what's interesting what do we want to talk about 
Well, I think the top of my list, uh, if you guys concur, uh, I think we, we we ought to discuss a little bit about last week's uh, apparently Boomer Expo at uh, Palm Springs, uh, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association's annual meeting. Uh, that's Palm Springs has always been a strong draw for AOPA members on the West Coast. Uh, in 19, I mean, in 2002, their last visit there, they set a record. Lo and behold, they beat that record into a pulp and did it again this year. Amy, by any chance, were you able to attend uh, the AOPA Expo? I was not, but I followed it online, and uh, one of the things that I was most impressed about was what happened with their uh, mentoring program, their project pilot program. Tell I us about it that. Was, I thought that it was fantastic that the number of people who have committed to mentoring another person into aviation. You know, and I, I just really like the concept of trying, you know, the whole member get a member thing has always worked very, very well. You think, how many members do they have with AOPA? Well, they've got plus 400,000 last time I checked the numbers. And if every one of them decided that they were going to try and mentor someone into even a sport pilot rating, and and you you doubled your membership right there. Yeah. You know, it's a phenomenal idea and concept, well, but you really got to get the get the word out of what mentoring is. Well, I think according a lot to, of people uh, are afraid that it means they have to be a flight instructor. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and really it's more of a, a support network kind of thing, somebody that the student can turn to uh, and talk to, um, about things and work with on things where uh, the flight instructor is not in the picture. Uh, according to uh, AOPA, uh, they had in excess of 225 people sign up to mentor uh, pilot prospects uh, during the expo. Uh, I don't believe they had that kind of success the last time that they ran the program through about 10 years ago. No, they didn't. And the other thing about mentoring is uh, not only is it a resource, uh, a place a uh, prospective pilot can go to ask questions and get detailed answers, but it's also a role model. And uh, my only uh, Absolutely. comment would be that I, I hope the, uh, and I think by, by virtue of their having volunteered for this, I hope the people who are doing the mentoring um, understand that they are serving as a role model here. Yeah, I, 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 I hope, and from all of the materials that I've gone through, and I've volunteered for Project Project Pilot, one of the things I wanted to interject here is just because you don't have to be a flight instructor to become a mentor doesn't mean that you can't become a mentor if you are a flight instructor. Good point. Um, in fact, it's encouraged. Absolutely. Um, so, so what I was going to say is I've, I've done that for a couple of years now, and I really enjoy the one-on-one -on -one contact with people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it, it's great to have people just ask you, and there are always a few really clean, clear, practical questions. Um, and it's exciting to hear that they soloed, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and to hear when, when, and it's very fulfilling when they finally get that rating, even though I never gave that person a lesson. Very mm -hmm. fulfilling. Yeah. yeah, I have a, a close friend of mine who... Uh, just recently bought the same kind of airplane I have, and he's been, you know, kind of picking my brain on various operational tips and and uh, things like that. And, and it's he's always apologetic. Gee, I, I I'm really sorry to bother you. I hope you got some time and and da 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 da. But I thoroughly enjoy, and uh, I'm I'm happy to impart what little knowledge I have uh, on those topics. So uh, 
uh, I concur, the mentoring program at AOPA and, and uh, just the concept of mentoring other pilots is a very valuable one. And, uh, well, and it's not, hats not, off to them. It's not a cliche that what goes around comes around. And, uh, you know, those people with the, with the time, the wherewithal, and the knowledge to give uh, are going to see, you know, I think some real return both personally in satisfaction and for the community and the addition of new pilots that, that have the same kind of attitude because somebody took the time to help them out. Uh, so uh, way to go. I hope this really continues to surge for AOPA and, and, and for the community. Yeah, uh, great stuff. Uh, other what? numbers that we might want to talk about out of AOPA, the yeah. attendance, uh, just short of 13,000 people, which was a record. Uh, light sport aircraft seemed to be the dominant uh, vehicle uh, among the uh, 100, and, I believe it was 104 or 106 aircraft that they had taxiing into the static display at the convention center. Uh, traffic was so heavy at Palm Springs that uh, they had to periodically close the airport because of a lack of parking space. Uh, so it was kind of take a number of your turn at times. Uh, most of the most of the uh, conferences and general sessions were standing room only, uh, and Marion Blakey managed to get in and out without getting lynched or burned in effigy. So, <laughs> a pretty yeah, I successful think, event. I, I think the larger story, or one of the larger stories, is indeed the attendance. And we look at um, AOPA, we look at NBAA show, both of which uh, just set records. Uh, EAA AirVenture this year was almost as large as its record year in, in 05. Uh, what does that say about uh, the state of the industry? What does that say about the interest in general aviation? I think it's all positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I concur. Right. There's, uh, there, there's uh, a number of uh, friends of ours here in Wichita that attended Expo this year as vendors. And in speaking to a couple of them uh, earlier this week, uh, shortly after they returned from Palm Springs, uh, they were still wide-eyed uh, with the success of the show for them. Uh, in two instances, these small companies uh, took double the number of products to sell that they took to Palm Springs a year ago and sold out before the end of the second day. Uh, so obviously the crowd there was in a spending mood. Business was good. Uh, the feedback from some of the aircraft companies has been extremely strong. Their commerce was good. Uh, it's kind of nice to see general aviation uh, seem to be on a roll right now. Uh, Refreshing uh, change, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, it really that's is. Great. Any other AO, uh, expo, expo stories before we move on here? Uh, uh, only if we want to talk about... Uh, the FAA, uh, Blakey, and the uh, comments that she had about uh, user fees. Well, let's do uh, that. Before we deliver, well, one, last, one last thing about the Expo, and I'm searching the web right now for the correct answer here, but I believe that next year AOPA's Expo is up here in my neck of the woods. Hartford. Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. Hartford, Hartford Connecticut. Connecticut. That's right. So that'll be kind of cool. And, that will uh, be. So, okay, Dave, what'd she say? What, 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 how'd she piss you off this time? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. Marion never really ticks me off. She sometimes astounds me and sometimes baffles me, but uh, we're not close enough friends for me to really get ticked at her. I see. Uh, but uh, she told the uh, she told the crowd in no uncertain terms that, uh, that from her perspective, the new funding mechanism that she insists must happen to support the FAA uh, is not something that she's interested in seeing stifling general aviation. 
and she uh, reminded the audience at Expo that uh, excise taxes on fuel is a form of user fees, which is kind of a, a given that's lost in the uh, den of the discussions that uh, have been coming out of this. Uh, and not the least bit disingenuous on her part to say uh, we're already paying a user fee and maybe we don't want to change that exactly. Uh, I can't help but wonder how that was received at the halls of the Air Transport Association because uh, if you carry her thinking through to its logical extension suddenly the, the new user fees for all the different services seem to be falling back on the lap of the airlines. She must be a listener because we've had that very discussion here on uncontrolled airspace in the past that uh, if indeed uh, uh, general aviation uh, is, de is determined to to pay more or pay less or, or whatever the, the breakout is, all we have to do is tinker with the existing fuel taxes and not That's right. to uh, per service user well, fees. Yeah, Amy, go it, ahead. It, it, intrigued, it intrigued me because there was, there was a little bit more that was said there. She yes. actually expressed dissatisfaction with the existing system because she does not like how hard it is to tinker with taxes. I thought I read in there that she would rather go to some kind of fee-based system because it's easier to change the fee. Uh -huh. Yeah. Did you read that? Did you get that from her? Uh, it, it definitely seemed to, to, to be uh, an, 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 an undertone of, and, and, and also, in her statement, uh, because in reading the full uh, the full text, it seems she was going to great lengths to kind of ease the tension and and the, and the worries of the audience. That uh, you know she she's working on uh, overcoming a, a a visiting player disadvantage by showing up at Expo. Yeah. Uh, it's I, interesting. I, I, I got that too. I didn't um, catch that I, nuance. I, 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 Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I caught Amy, go that ahead. little nuance. You might, you might want to go back and and, yeah. and look at that. How, did did anyone explore how that might work? Currently, the way the aviation excise tax system works is Congress sets those rates, whether it's a percentage or cents per gallon thing, and that goes into statute. Um, if if the law were to be changed to allowing the FAA to say, uh, every six months, for lack of a better idea, uh, create a sliding scale of, of taxes. Uh, did anybody kind of explore how that might work? I think this was just the opening, uh, the opening salvo in planning that idea. Uh, because, you know, all along the uh, AOPA folks, the GAMMA folks, the NBAA folks have kind of insisted that uh, whatever the system set up that Congress remain the board of directors for the FAA. Uh, I have a difficult time seeing Congress ceding the ability to change fee structures to uh, any kind of administrative operation over at 800 Independence. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't see that happening any any more easily than uh, the creation of the the board of directors dominated by the air carriers that uh, the ATA favors. So. Uh, uh, maybe it's a gambit to, to try to change the, the nature of the conversation a little bit. 
Uh, and it also could be something that resulted from the change in uh, in, in Tuesday's legislative in the legislative structure that came a week ago Tuesday. Yeah. The, the, the new Congress uh, is is not going to be in the mood to grant any additional powers to the executive branch, and this would certainly be one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not anxious. I'm sorry, Amy. Say that again. I said I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that um, the the change uh, the changing tide in Washington is really sent them back to the drawing board, thinking about how they're going to handle next year. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on. What else? I, I... Oh, interesting story came out of New York City last week. Uh, I think this is the same one I wanted to mention too. Yeah, Tell especially, us. yeah. especially on the tales on the on the. Uh, uh, tale of the uh, the Lytle accident. Lytle accident. Uh, yeah, describe what of, happened, Jim. Well, my understanding, and I, I read the uh, New York Times article. Uh, a gentleman uh, flying his 172, I believe uh, he's a manager at the Linden, New Jersey airport, um, basically had an engine failure and uh, put the Skyhawk down uh, on a park next to uh, one of the major waterways there in, in the in the city, uh, unscathed, no scratches on the airplane. Uh, but big story in the in the New York Times and, and some good art and and this kind of thing. Um, he he said, uh, "Hey, the engine quit. I made an emergency landing. End of discussion." Uh, some several interesting quotes in the Times story from the guy who uh, clearly has been around the block once or twice and uh, um, uh, basically deflected all of the the. Uh, uh, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Kinds of questions from uh, reporters uh, uh, did a very good job, I thought, not only in flying the airplane but in handling the aftermath. Yeah, Paul Paul Dudley is the pilot's name, and uh, he uh, just just by dint of good fortune, good timing, uh, happened to be uh, directly over uh, a uh, a park that uh, juts out of Brooklyn into Coney Island Creek, and. Uh, it was large enough. It was firm enough. Uh, it was the right place at the right time. Uh, he touched down with uh, with with the dead engine and uh, uh, walked away. No damage. No harm. No foul. Yeah. Yeah. May we always be so lucky. Yeah. Really. Indeed. What, what I, I think it's I think it's wonderful though that it was a Cessna 172 in oh. a lot of ways. Something simple. Something uh -huh. you know, not a brand new plane. Not. Not a Cirrus with the parachute. I mean, it right. just, you know, plain vanilla. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and and to have a, such a, a high visibility, high profile uh, uh, event again in the same neighborhood as the Lytle accident with such a totally different outcome, uh, I think speaks volumes about what's really the more typical outcome of the more typical general aviation incident. Not that the mass media will spend a lot of time dissecting this the way they did the Lytle accident, because let's face it, it didn't bleed, so it's uh, it's going to be a short lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Short short story, and and you know we'll just one news cycle, and we're done. Yeah, and the guy had gas in the tanks. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't have engine ice. Uh, the uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, the little four banger just said, uh, "I'm not working anymore," and the guy had the uh, had the skills and abilities to to plant it someplace that let him walk away. So, yeah. hats off to, to to Paul Dudley. It's always good to to, to hear of a great landing. Yeah, absolutely, terrific. What else, Amy? Are there any stories you're I following these days that uh, you think are interesting? 
I was I was actually really interested in something that um, we were looking at that talks about uh, the different kind of maintenance program that air traffic control is looking at these days. Did there you, guys you take go. A look at that? Sure yeah, did. that was something that uh, kind of raised my eyebrow. What's they, that all about? They, they call it reliability-based maintenance. Uh, it's something that's uh, been in use uh, by some of the Pentagon agencies and, 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 and in other parts of uh, in, in business. And essentially, it develops a system of maintenance that uh, tracks the failure rates of things and uh, I don't want to overgeneralize this because it deserves better than that, but uh, uh, it allows uh, institutions to change the, some of the preventive maintenance habits they've got based on the track record of the items they're maintaining, uh, some of which would become run until fail because there's no reliable way to predict them and preventive maintenance doesn't do anything to change that. Uh, computer uh, uh, liquid crystal displays or, or an item where run to fail is the dominant, uh, dominant practice. But it also means that in some instances, uh, the maintenance pattern is uh, is not going to anticipate failure, and bad things could happen, according to some of the air traffic control people out there. So now, specifically, yeah. are we talking about maintenance of the FAA ATC facilities, or what are we talking? Maintenance yes. of what? Yes. Okay. We're talking about equipment here, aren't we, Dave? Yes, we sure that are. That's what I read out of that. Yeah. I mean, that really bothered me to read that that there could be, you know, that a a tower radar screen could be considered a run-to-fail item. That's right. Yeah, uh, and um, some, some of the radar systems themselves, some of the transmitters, uh, where the uh, they have a history of mean time between failure, let's say, for the motor that rotates an antenna. Uh, instead of uh, replacing it on a fixed schedule so that you uh, basically eliminate a possibility of failure, you uh, predict how long you can run that before it will fail, and then set it up to be replaced just short of that failure time, and hope that it doesn't break in the interim. So now, this new thing, Amy, is this? Are they talking about changing these policies, or is it more the same? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. They're they're talking about trying to they're trying to save money by reducing the amount of preventive maintenance that they do. Exactly. And there's two. I have two problems with the system. One, it's very expensive to implement because you have to study everything that you want to play this game with first in order to figure out where it falls into this rubric. So mm-hmm. you've got to spend money to do that right up front. Yeah. Then you go back and you hope you guessed right. You rewrite all the manuals. You put it all out there, and then you you hope you guess right on what is important and what isn't important. And I think what bothered me the most in reading this report was, you know, a run-to-fail item could be a light bulb in a hallway. Okay, that I can see why, because, you know, a light bulb in a hallway is not a, you know, things are going to crash and burn kind of item, possibly. But then they talk about like a tower radar control system. <laughs> I went, yeah. whoa. <laughs> I so mean, now is this... Does that not 
And is this new policy in place, or is this a proposal? Or It's a proposal at the moment. Uh-huh. And the uh, National Air Traffic Control folks, uh, both the, the maintenance union and the controllers union, seem to be uh, getting their chin out in front of this uh, as quickly as possible uh, to wave a red flag and say, do we really want to do we really want to change our maintenance system to something that's uh, not guaranteed to anticipate all these some of these failures? Yeah, yeah this this strikes me as uh, I guess having a twofold, or at least a twofold purpose. One purpose obviously is uh, uh, FAA's quintessential continuing effort to minimize its personnel costs and uh, uh, putting, of course, the uh, uh, the facilities equipment repair people uh, uh, that that particular union at the FAA on notice that uh, uh, they're going to play hardball. I think the second uh, effort or the second uh, uh, component of this might simply be that uh, they're laying the groundwork to lowball this particular budget item in the 07 uh, budget cycle um, and say, well, okay, if, you, if Congress, if you don't want to do this, then you need to give us more money. And that's kind of their way of of um, uh, saying put up or shut up. Um, so it, it could, it, it certainly, I'm sure, is a, is a viable proposal on the part of the FAA. It does sound like uh, um, shaving a little bit too close to the bone here. Mm-hmm. So anyone well, who has I, I just, Go ahead, Amy. Yeah, I was going to say, I just don't think there's that much equipment that's used in our national air space system right now that we can afford to say is a safe run-to-fail item. No, I, I, I would agree. Um, you're talking about radars. You're talking about uh, VOR facilities. You're talking about communications uh, networks. Um, these things are, are very critical, and, and if they fail at the wrong time and there's nobody around uh, to, to switch on a backup system or diagnose the failure and fix it, um, we could be without that facility for several days. It's, it's well, not of, a good idea from that standpoint. One of, the, one of the things that kind of baffles me is that on one hand, we've got uh, Administrator Blakey talking about ADSB being FAA's moonshot, uh, about efforts to uh, move uh, uh, the wide area augmentation system ADSB forward uh, to the point where it's standard usage in about 10 years. Uh, which is going to, you know, mean a lot of this equipment that we're talking about uh, working under RCM uh, being phased out afterward, and then we've got this proposal to uh, to look at this new maintenance system that, uh, according to the document, uh, is going to cover 300 system maintenance handbooks that have to be updated over a period of at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if we're looking at yeah, why bother? Uh, we've got a system that's working very well now by most appearances and most of the time uh, with a lot of equipment that the new system is going to obsolete uh, over the next 20 years. Uh, let's, uh, let's stick with what's known and what's reliable rather than spending a lot of upfront money for something that's going to go away in another 20 years. Yeah. So anyone who is simplifying this, anyone out there who has a strong feeling about this, this is the kind of thing that uh, what we should uh, contact our our uh, legislators and uh, well, yeah, make the, our feelings the, known. Or? The quick answer would be yes, but uh, I think the the longer answer, more detailed answer, would be that this needs to be embodied in a specific proposal. Uh, Sounds like it's again they're laying the groundwork for the 07 uh, budget cycle. Um, 
Um, we, we've touched on this before, but on September 30 of, of 2007, the FAA's existing authorization legislation expires, and uh, Congress, the FAA, the White House are all gearing up for, um, I won't call it a battle, but that effort uh, to, to reauthorize the FAA and, and set its, uh, its policies for the next uh, uh, handful of years. It could be a two, four, five-year bill. Um, this is this is all of a piece in that uh, the FAA uh, and and specifically the administration is is starting to throw out proposals and uh, uh, see what sticks to the wall, see what falls to the floor. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't get too exercised about this, but it's clearly something that needs to be researched, and if it in fact appears as a legislative proposal, it needs to be beaten back. Okay. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's part of that bigger thing that we just kind of need to keep our our uh, exactly eye on, our ear on, and uh, make yeah. our feelings. Yeah, known. I would I would recommend you know one of the things that I like to do is I keep a little list on the wall of uh, when these things pop up. I go, ooh, watch that one. Yeah, uh-huh. watch yeah. that one. And uh-huh. what I'm beginning to see, as you said, in this ramp up to the reauthorization, is that list getting a little longer and a little uh-huh. longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, moving on here, um, I wanted to actually give a shout out here to uh, to EAA Chapter 225, which is up here in Rochester, New Hampshire. I got an email from them. Um, they didn't actually send it to us at the podcast. They sent it out to uh, members of the chapter or people who are friends of the chapter. And uh, um, I just wanted to pass this. They had uh, recently, a few weeks back, they had uh, their annual big Young Eagles rally. Uh, which was quite a success, and I just wanted to kind of read a few of the highlights of this of this email that they sent out. It, uh, this is from John Ricciotti, who's the president of EAA 225. He said, I just wanted to recap the Young Eagles rally we had this past Saturday. To sum it up in one word, it was truly spectacular. Many, many happy faces and the most gorgeous weather you could have on a fall day in New England. He went on to say, I think the Young Eagles program is the most exciting program in all that the EAA provides to the aviation world. We all love aviation, but to be able to share that love with the future generation of prospective pilots is just a great opportunity. If we don't pass along the love of flying to the next generation, the only flying opportunities they will have will be in video games. The Young Eagles program helps keep the spark alive, and to see our rally turn out so successfully was truly magical. It was due to the efforts of many of our members that the day was such a success. Thanks to all who contributed, and I can't wait until next year's Young Eagle rally. You're going to want to be there. It's from John Ricciotti, the president of EAA 225. So congratulations to all those guys up there at Skyhaven Airport. Skyhaven Airport in Rochester, New Hampshire, and uh, and uh, also thanks to uh, Ossipee Aviation, which is the FBO up there. Congratulations to them. That that kind of plays into what we were talking earlier about mentoring. It's kind of another example of of passing you know passing along the the passion, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree. I was going to say, you know, it's been 15 years almost with this Young Eagles program. Do you not think that that's uh, some of what's going on in aviation today when you look at those crowds at AOPA? You got a good point. Yeah, that's really. That's a very it's, good point. Absolutely. Amy. Those first kids, that, that first wave of kids are, are sort of, you know, what, if they were 10 and 11 then, they're 25 and, you know, getting to the point where they can start to afford these things now, you could be right on the uh, money. Uh, some of them are already flying. Some of them are already aircraft owners. Uh, uh, it's uh, pro- probably the... Uh, 
one of the more undersold aspects of the Young Eagles program is, is the the follow-up on, on, on where some of the early kids are today with their aviation activities. But uh, I know from talking to Steve Boos, at, uh, who's the executive director of the Young Eagles program for EAA, that uh, uh, one of the reasons why they decided to continue after they achieved their goal of, uh, of 1 million kids in about 11 years was because the program had proven such a success that some of the early uh, examples were were following up and continuing their involvement with aviation and uh, Tom Pobresny to his credit and his staff couldn't see a better way to continue building uh, the base of general aviation than to continue the Young Eagles program. And, yeah. and there's one other thing that people seem to miss is that not only do does the Young Eagles program grow pilots and grow grow aviators in general for the for the whole industry, but what about all those other kids who don't necessarily become pilots, but every time they look up now instead of saying, Ah, oh, that noisy airplane, they're going, Wow. I remember when I flew one of those. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. The difference between that negative attitude and that positive attitude towards general aviation is huge. You can't buy that. Yeah. No, you can't. Absolutely. And, uh, That's good stuff. It's, it's, uh, uh, Amy, I think you just kind of echoed something I was going to say, and you said it much better than I would have, but uh, uh, a lot of it has to do with simply telling GA's story, telling the, the, the story of general aviation and, and how it's not reckless, it's... Uh, uh, it's it's enjoyable. It's recreation. It's transportation, and uh, uh, should not be uh, uh, overly restricted. It's it's uh, uh, mom and apple pie. Yeah, and it also shoots down some of the myths, in my view, that uh, general aviation is nothing but a bunch of rich business guys with more money and toys than the average Joe, because. Uh, uh, from my exposure to Young Eagles flights, uh, doing them myself and, and being on the perimeter at Young Eagle events, uh, a, a tremendous number of these guys are, are just average Joes, average working stiffs that uh, might have an old Aranka or a Cub or uh, a simple home built or, uh, and I'm sure as we see more of it, light sport airplanes, uh, they're, they're, they're real people. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not uh, you know excessively wealthy celebrities with uh, with with the, the cash flow to, to support a, a thrill. These are folks that are in it for the love of it, and uh, to see them out on weekends and, and evenings and in, in the, the longer days of the year, uh, passing on that passion to a new generation, uh, I think also helps instill a little sense of purpose in some of these pilots that uh, when they go out to the airport for a young Eagles flight, uh, they're doing something good rather than just burning holes in the sky because uh, they need to stay current. Yeah, And I would add, not only is it beneficial to um, the youngsters uh, that these uh, that the Young Eagle program is actually flying, but uh, it's also in inspiring to me uh, as a pilot. I, I occasionally get a little bit too cynical, a little bit too jaded. Uh, Not uh, us. <laughs> <laughs> I know that comes as a shock, uh, but uh, it, it is uh, it's very refreshing to see, uh, um, as as Dave correctly notes. People who uh, uh, have made aviation their passion, as, as opposed to uh, a business activity or a, or a profit center or something of that sort, they're doing it for the love of, of, of flying, and they're trying to get others involved in 
uh, in it from that love standpoint. And, uh, and it's very refreshing, very humbling. Lest anybody listening, uh, get to, so they don't get the wrong idea, uh, the Young Eagles program uh, is a long-running program of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Uh, so I'd urge you, if you've got an interest in passing on your love of flying, to help uh, benefit general aviation and, and grow the community from the youngsters up, uh, get in touch with your local young, uh, your local EAA chapter. You can find out where that chapter is when it meets through EAA.org. Mm -hmm. uh, get in contact with their Young Eagles coordinator and uh, stick your airplane out there on the ramp at the next opportunity. I guarantee you the smile that you generate from those youngsters you take around will stick with you a lot longer than the heartburn from a $100 hamburger. <laughs> That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're starting to get near the end of our time here. We probably have time for one more uh, subject. Any other another story that jumps out at people? What's going on? There, there's this thing about the, I don't know whether this is a story or not, there was this thing about the, uh, what is it, the Columbia test fleet has been grounded? Uh, no, the, no, the eclipse. Eclipse, eclipse. eclipse. excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's clearly <clears throat> something to, to remark about, something to uh, refer to. It doesn't seem like it's uh, uh, going to have any, any kind of long-term impact on the eclipse program. Uh, basically, the Eclipse 500 test fleet, and last time I checked, that was five or six uh, uh, flyable airplanes, has been grounded uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, as a result of a problem found in one of the uh, wing attach bolts, obviously a, a fairly critical component of the airplane. But um, uh, Eclipse is kind of downplaying the significance of this. It was uh, uh, a worn bushing uh, in one of the attach bolts. Uh, it does not seem to be, it seems to be a quality control thing on Eclipse's part. Certainly should not have any long-term bearing on the, on the viability of the airplane uh, or VLJs in general. So, the story uh, I read said that they, they, they clearly didn't believe that this thing was happening to the production aircraft. Is that uh, correct? That's yeah, correct. I think, it's a tempest. I think it's a tempest in a teapot. And in fact, um, you know, I, my understanding was that it was an installation issue. Right. Huh. Huh. Okay. Uh, the bushing was misinstalled when the uh, test aircraft were built. Uh, apparently, they've checked the production fleet that they've uh, that they've assembled and but not yet delivered, and uh, finding that that didn't occur in the production okay. aircraft. Uh, I think at the most here, and I'm going to bring in the, uh, the the windshield cracks that they're having on the outer layer that uh, has, has also come up as part of this right. same Another letter issue. from Burn yeah. Rabin. I think what it does more than anything is point out that, uh, that starting a new airplane company to build a new airplane uh, is always fraught with, with little bumps in the road. And uh, certainly Eclipse has had more than its share, or had its share at least, uh, you know, from when they had to drop the original plant, originally planned engine through these uh, two little items with the, uh, uh, the bushing problem and the wing attach point and the windshield cracks. Uh, the best laid plans of multi-billionaires and, and entrepreneurs just can't overcome the fact that uh, little snafus are going to come along because you're treading into, uh, into unknown territory every time you design something from the ground up. Yeah, these are teething pains and, and you're talking about a brand new airframe. Uh, brand new manufacturing techniques, and, and I suspect that uh, uh, because this is the, the flight test fleet, 
that the manufacturing techniques weren't even perfected, much less perhaps not even used when assembling these airplanes. So, That's correct. Well, uh, Amy, what were you going to say? I think you're right about that. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I, 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 I kind of beg to differ a little bit. I think it's more than just your ordinary set of teething paints. I think that, that with Eclipse, they stepped way out, way uh-huh. off on limb when they decided to do this, and it's a whole different process. And and this is one of the reasons why their whole system has been fraught with a lot of bumps, as you were saying. Anytime mm-hmm. you go way out there, you're going to get a lot of bumps. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not to say that the end product isn't going to be worth it. I think they have changed the industry. And when you when you revolutionize something as as much as they did with as many different kinds of changes, you're going to have a lot of bumps along the way. Is it, will, it be worth it in the, will it be worth it in the end? Yes, I absolutely think so. And, and um, I think they're going about this in the, in the correct fashion also. I mean, clearly putting aside the engineering and the, uh, the operational testing that they've been doing, they also have uh, uh, kind of an unsaid, uh, uh, unpublished responsibility here to um, not only assuage their, their customers, but also the general public as to how these airplanes are put together, uh, how they've been tested, how they've been researched, and, and how problems that crop up, whether they're teething pains or uh, uh, some other kind of, of systemic problem, how those problems have been addressed. And uh, they have a responsibility and need to instill the confidence uh, in the customers, in the general public who will be riding on these airplanes, that they are well-built, well-engineered, well-designed, and well-maintained. Well, and at the end of the day, discovering little issues like this is the whole purpose of a flight test program and the continuing test program that manufacturers run uh, years after they certificate an aircraft and start delivering it. Uh, I know there's not a manufacturer in this town uh, all the way up through Boeing Aircraft in Seattle that doesn't continue to fly their, uh, their prototypes uh, for thousands of hours in an attempt to stay ahead of their high-time users in experience with the aircraft. Better for them to find the failure points, the failure modes, and, 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 uh, and, and things that break before the customer comes to them because he's experienced it himself. And this is just another one of those issues where, you know, in the flight test program on the 500, some things that uh, hadn't been anticipated uh, came real. Uh, Eclipse has stepped up communicated with its customers, admitted that there's issues, and is trying to deal with them. And uh, that's certainly uh, a little more sunshine than you might see with some of the other plane makers that we've dealt yeah. with. Sounds Absolutely. good. Sounds good. Let's move along here. Um, uh, we're just about running out of time here. Any, uh, any last-minute items that anybody really wants to get out before we finish up? Um, not of any huge import. Uh, tomorrow in Greensboro, North Carolina, Honda uh, is hosting an invitation-only confab uh, with journalists uh, uh, to get up close and personal with their Honda jet. They've they've advanced this by saying, "No, there won't be any real new news here, but uh, uh, we just wanted to try to get some people together up close and personal with the airplane and uh, uh, try to familiarize uh, them with uh, the program." Uh, I will be. Uh, I'm certainly planning uh, to attend that. Never really know until I turn the key, but uh, um, should be something uh, we can talk about next session. It should be an interesting, uh, interesting day. Sounds interesting. Anything else, you other guys? 
I'd just like to to uh, to, to give a call out to, to all of our flying friends and, and, and family members with Thanksgiving coming up next week. Uh, there's going to be a lot of you head out into the airspace. Uh, we hope you have a safe, fun, loving trip. But please don't forget in your homesick angel syndrome that maybe the smartest maneuver is 180 back to where you started from. Uh, let's have a safe Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we'd sure like to not have any statistics to discuss when podcast number eight of Uncontrolled Airspace gets recorded. Yeah, so have absolutely. a happy, safe flying holiday. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, Amy Laboda, thank you very much for joining us. It's been great to have you with us, and, and hopefully it's been you'll, an excellent, Amy. you'll be yeah, able to join us very much. again in the future. Amy is the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine and a contributing editor to EAA's Sport Aviation. Uh, her uh, the, the best website to uh, learn more about her work is the Women in... Now, I'm going to... This is an odd naming, Amy. I'm sorry. You're going to have to explain this to me one day, but let me see if I've got it right. The organization is called Women in Aviation, but the website is WAI, Whiskey Alpha India, dot Women in Aviation International. There we go. Yeah, so uh, che get that check out WAI.org, and you can go directly to Amy's magazine by going to WAI.org slash magazine. And that's uh, Amy LeBron. And it's a great read every month. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Jeb Burnside, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Thanks again, as usual. My and pleasure. Dave Higdon, DaveHigdon.com. Uh, also check out Dave's appearance on the Airspeed Podcast over at uh, uh, the Airspeed Podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next time. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com.